Hey folks, Nate here. You're listening to Critical Care, a show about games, community, and finding hope in a time of global unrest. This is episode 30, featuring games critic Skeleton of DeepHell.com. Enjoy. I am Skeleton of DeepHell.com. There's a little dash in there if you are listening to this and you decide to pop open your web browser and take a look. I try to put a little bit of distance between my real life self and the brand right now. So I usually use a pseudonym or just prefer to identify myself as the website. My pronouns are they, them. And for the most part, I started DeepHell about four years ago as a way to write about video games and music and other things I was interested in. But from a very critical perception perspective, I should say, and kind of the onus of starting the website was I wanted to look at things I thought taught people bad lessons about relating to other people. So a lot of my early articles were really about games like Persona and things like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I normally associate your work as kind of a kind of pushing against a lot of the like capitalist narratives that are sort of baked into a lot of games media um this is maybe something you've written uh more extensively about lately but mm-hmm. i think definitely there's been conversations in different parts of the games critic landscape i guess as much as that is a thing currently um kind of trying to navigate ways to talk about games that are not contributing to uh systems that are exploiting or or damaging uh employees and to some degree i suppose players as well well you know i'm as a writer i tend to go off on very long tangents Mm-hmm. So I would consider me writing about these sorts of things lately as just the newest tangent that I'm going off on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also relates to a lot of what I've been reading. I just finished not too long ago Mackenzie Wark's excellent book, uh, Capital is Dead, Is This Something Worse?, which kind of started me off. And that kind of thing has been mostly what I've been reading about right now. So I've been writing about those sorts of things. But in terms of writing about ways writing about games that aren't harmful or are, are harmful to people, uh, especially players and especially staff. All of that comes back to those same lessons about what are video games teaching us? What kind of things are we taking away from them when we play them? Mm-hmm. And I've just sort of, since I started the website, I've been obsessed with that line of thinking. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm curious now that you're four years or so deep into into deep hell um as i'm curious how how that line of thought has maybe evolved like what you view as the sort of the the value of of games writing like what games writing can teach us and uh maybe how your relationship to games have changed as you've as you've been writing about them longer and finding new ways to understand like what they're what they're teaching us believe it or not i actually play more video games now than i did when i started the website but as far as what i think about what games writing can teach us 
personally for me, I don't think games writing can teach people a whole lot unless they are already very well indebted and invested in the culture of video games. Mm -hmm. I try to make my stuff appeal more broadly if I can. Um, and that occasionally include go that occasionally means going off on long tangents about things that are not video games or silly articles like the ones I do at the end of the year. But personally for me, I read a lot of games criticism and usually a lot of things I read, there are many exceptions, but a lot of things I read have me thinking this would mean absolutely nothing to me unless I was absolutely a hundred percent involved in, I don't know, games culture or whatever mm -hmm. people call it. Yeah, absolutely. I think even as we've, even as games writing has kind of expanded a lot in the last I don't know, five, six or so years, roughly as long as I've been writing about games to some capacity um, and there's been new voices coming in and new ways to talk about games. There still is, it, it is still a very like segmented community that I think is still, it's hard to explain what, what the, I, I think these articles often fail to, like you said, to, to get outside of, of like, the very narrow hyper engaged community uh which i think mm -hmm. broadly speaks to kind of games culture which even as it's very large now like more people than ever are playing games mm -hmm. i think the idea of games culture is still very small very narrow and and just not only that but you know as a person who's came up i've written for other places and i I don't want to talk about those because it was a long time ago, but as a person who came up writing during like the trends of whatever people called new games journalism, mm -hmm. I feel like writers that came up during the same time, especially you see them like people that write for Kotaku or Polygon or things like that. I think they learned all of the wrong lessons from new games journalism. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I broadly see in a lot of games writing today is like the only thing people learned from games journalism, from new games journalism, uh, put air quotes around that uh editor please and then is that you can make articles about yourself and i feel like that problem is 90 percent of what i find wrong with people writing about video games today hmm. could you could you expand a bit on kind of from people who maybe i think i have a general idea of of what you mean by new games journalism but could you maybe expand a bit on on what you mean by that the thrust of new games journalism as I relate to it is a lot of stuff like actionbutton.net and other writing that came out of that similar point in time. People that would later go on to get jobs at Polygon or Kotaku or other big games press websites, especially Rock, Paper, Shotgun. One of the things about that style of writing was it was very heavily anecdotal. There are articles that very heavily allow writer, the writers to go off into very personal anecdotes as they relate to things. But a lot of those anecdotes were funny or they seemed they were there to reinforce force a certain point about the game. Whereas I think a lot of writing now is just people using their anecdotal stuff to talk about themselves, not necessarily in relation to the game or in a way that the game has taught them something or they think it's funny or it's stupid. But it's just a lot of it is just very personal, not that different from just blogging, writing about the self. Hmm. I can I can certainly see that as a a trend that has has broadly I think spun up maybe alongside stuff like like YouTube videos and and 
Twitch streams where the idea of games is and and talking about games is is more and more sort of linked to personal experiences and uh, maybe moving away from more, I guess, not even traditional review structure, more like game, I guess, analysis sort of types of, of writing. It's something I see a lot in games writing is writing that becomes too heavily self-referential, uh, too heavily people aren't trying to, not necessarily, I don't want to say pick a side, but people aren't using the substance of the game, using their personal anecdote to relate something to the reader. They're talking about a game for a little while and then talking about how, and then talking about themselves and how that should matter to the reader. And I don't think that's the way to go. I think you've got to make yourself relate to the game, make the game relate to yourself if you're going to do that kind of writing, but ultimately make that kind of writing relate to the player so they're learning something about both. So they're relating this aspect of the game to another person they don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've definitely written kind of both styles of this writing. It's interesting to reflect on it and try and, I guess, suss out like what is what I was trying, what would I have been trying to communicate to someone, or I guess what was the intention behind writing something like that. And I've, I've been there before too. I've got dozens of drafts sitting on the website where I've been writing something and I'm halfway through it. I'm like, is this something someone else could find interesting or funny? Or is this just me like grieving or, being angsty you know about this aspect of a video game that reached me and i've a lot of that stuff on the website stays on the cutting room floor mm. yeah and I'm, I'm curious i guess i i wonder how this stuff reads to to people outside of, of games media because mm-hmm. it is such a at this point as such an established kind of style of writing it like mm-hmm. like you said it kind of is the predominant form uh in a lot of critical circles and i wonder i i would assume it is reaching someone if it is being written about so much but i i do i am curious kind of if this is a result of kind of games media being so small and isolated it sort of reinforces the same styles of writing but that doesn't necessarily reflect how people are are engaging with those with those pieces if that makes sense which i i isn't something that really could be answered here but uh, that makes perfect sense to me um but that's i don't know that's just kind of my thoughts on how i think video game right video game criticism and analysis relates to other people mm-hmm. for sure I, I think it's definitely something to it's definitely something that i think i I would like to be more conscious of in my own writing, uh, especially as I think this year has been mm-hmm. with the pandemic and with isolation. Uh, it has been an incredibly self-referential year as mm-hmm. just my primary means of, of communicating about myself to other people is, is through writing, whether that is a longer piece or making sure. a thread on Twitter. I was just going to say, it's just so funny, you know, with the pandemic and everything, you'd think writers... You'd think we'd all of us writer people would be like in heaven right now with all of this extra time and isolation, but huh. I'm really, I'm really sick of it. 
Yeah, 100%. I am desperate for new experiences and other people and and having some form of connection outside of, of my tiny house, uh, which is yeah. part of why I find this podcast really illuminating. I've talked to a lot of people who have really shifted my perspective on a lot of stuff, even if it's only been in, in small conversations. I don't know how much of that is just every conversation in quarantine is, is amplified because yeah. of, they're so rare. It's- yeah, it's when somebody reaches out to you, especially you're like, oh, I want to talk to the, I want to like talk this person's ear off forever. Yeah, I guess sh- shifting gears a little bit, I did want to speak maybe more, more specifically about your your recent album or album, your recent article. I mean, album's not a bad thing to call it. <laughs> <laughs> you recently published a article uh, called "I Must Not Think Bad Thoughts." Um, it's kind of relating to the new consoles launching and the way they're being covered and kind of getting at how a lot of games culture and especially stuff around new consoles and new technologies um, is really only accessible to a very narrow margin of people, um, which kind of then dictate like what, what is, what is games uh, culture and, how we are kind of all broadly buying into that to some degree. I'm maybe I'm, I'm abridging a lot of this. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely suggest people read the article. Yes. After yes. Listening to this. Um, but I, of course I can't talk about the article without talking about Kotaku's review of the PlayStation five. Mm-hmm. I don't. Okay. I'm the person who is okay. Denigrating another writer if I think they've put something out there that is not for me at the very least worth reading. Mm-hmm. I don't ever do it on Twitter because I don't want like to use that hell platform for what I think it's intended for, which is basically just hating incessantly. Mm-hmm. But the Kotaku review of the PlayStation five, I read and broad strokes. It's very much a, I'm middle class. I'm sad about the affairs of things. I can't do anything about it. So you should spend your money in a different way because the world is going to hell and I feel bad about it. Or if you do have money, you should just buy a PlayStation 5 because you can get away with it. And whatever, there's a pandemic. I I just, I felt it was very pathetic. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had these thoughts bubbling under my skin since I read capitalism is dead and a couple of other things that Mackenzie work wrote. I've had these thoughts bubbling under my skin for a while and it's just been like, I, maybe this will make me lose some of the mystique, but I don't know how well you are plugged into comic books. Did you see kind of, there was a recent statement from Alan Moore about what he thinks of comic books. I think I saw that going around. Uh, I couldn't recall it off the top of my head, but I think he, I, he basically says, you know, comic books were something that was originally meant for very working class people. Mm-hmm. They were affordable and disposable. And I think just in my my memories of video games, you know, I have relatively poor parents. They could afford a Nintendo. That's the console I grew up with. People around me when I was growing up were very poor and they mostly relied on secondhand game consoles and things like that. And as I've gotten older, the price of secondhand video games has gotten even astronomically higher. And even the price of secondhand game consoles is still high. And as that's happened, 
video games have started to more and more reflect the attitudes of like a disposable middle class who have lots of extraneous free time, mm-hmm. who work from home or can choose their own working hours. And I feel does not reflect people who are poorer or lower classed in whatever countries who would maybe like to play video games, but neither have the time nor the resources nor, Jesus, in the case of the PlayStation 5, the shelf space to do so. Yeah, 100%. Um, there's a there's a lot to dig in there. Uh, I think firstly it it uh, one of the things I appreciate about Deepel and I mean it's a it's a maybe small side of the internet, but I appreciate a I guess outlet publication. I'm not sure exactly how you would define yourself website that is willing to kind of of be upfront about the failings of much larger sites like Kotaku. Um, I have a lot of grievances with, with them in particular as well. Oh, I, could, um, I could go down a list of points that I hate about Kotaku. Yeah, but d- in spite of all of that, they kind of continue to exist as mm-hmm. one of the like three main gaming sites at this point. Maybe four or five, depending on how you count them, but a very narrow segment and they and in spite of numerous issues uh they're kind of just allowed to exist there that's the that's the power of advertisers right there mm-hmm. um, but it's like so uh, this may be getting off on a tangent so when i talk about those thoughts like bubbling underneath my skin a few years ago when what was it like two years ago that fallout 76 released it, that sounds right but time is <laughs> time yeah. is so lost on me at this point yeah, I it could have been two years ago. It could have been at the beginning of this year. Polygon did a review of the release of Fallout 76 that was like, this game is bad. It's terrible. I've had no fun enjoying it. But the reviewer was like, but because I love Fallout so much, it needs to be good. Because the brand is close to my heart, it has to be good. So they're like still playing it. And that just like frustrated me to no end that the person couldn't even see like what was wrong with that relationship. And then those thoughts have just been like stewing in my body until mm-hmm. I read that review of the PlayStation 5 where they just kind of exploded where it's like we're at a point where a lot of people who are writing about culture are these middle class, I don't know, I don't want to say buffoons, but like these people who have no morality outside of how they spend their money and every article they review is laced with this kind of pathetic dread about how they they've lost like a practical ability to relate to the world outside of pop culture. And it's just started infecting everything written by these people. It strikes me as, as kind of going part and partial with the kind of the way that, that like yearly release schedules and, and the repetition of, of game sequels is sort of bemoaned by a lot of these people. And yet the games that are, continually cover given accolades sort of focused on are also the same ones it's this weird like frustration feeding into like hate playing mm-hmm. uh everything that comes out and it's yeah it's this strange like cycle to where it almost seems impossible for for the writers at these sites to step outside of the tiny box of what games media 
it has like shaped into or to some degree well, has been. And I mean, especially, you know, when you take a job at like Kotaku or Polygon or any one of these outlets that requires you to live in like LA or San Diego or New York or wherever the hell people live who write about these things and all of your social contacts are these people and all of your experiences are in these like heavily networked areas. Of course you can't relate to anything outside of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly frustrating. There are writers at these places, which I enjoy to varying degrees, but I, I'm more and more finding myself kind of at odds with the, the sort of, I don't know. It, it every every opinion kind of feels soft and mm-hmm. and enabled to to really come down on on stuff that has that would seem like not a a hard thing to do. I think my like a lot of my frustrations recently has been with with uh, Ubisoft and the and the way that their games have been sort of taken on mm-hmm. uh, this year, in spite of yeah. everything that's happened. Which it hasn't surprised me, but I, I guess I I felt like maybe this would be a bit different to where uh, yeah. this would maybe be the year where like just because a game has a huge marketing budget behind it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it demands everyone's attention if it's if it's the yeah. product of so many uh so much abuse and and, and you know exploitation. It's, it's so interesting too, because websites will do an article about abuse and crunch time by a developer and you know full well while you're reading it they still plan on taking the review copies and doing a full review of it mm-hmm. and evaluating it only as a product um i feel like something i've been thinking about is this year of course would be the year for these games to take off and be more successful because so many writers are desperate to keep him to stay employed where they're at. Mm-hmm. So many people are hurting for money and so many people are unable to keep a roof over their heads that this is the perfect time for a company like Ubisoft to do whatever they want and release a game and have everybody know about crunch time the staff went through and have there be no negative critical reception to that. Which is like a hard it's like a hard it's a hard thought to like go down the ladder for, but I was like I've had lots of anxious time sitting in front of a blank notepad thing going like i really can't this is too obvious this can't be it right but i've come to around to thinking like this of course this is it yeah it's like i think about when red dead redemption 2 is coming out and a lot of the same stories mm-hmm. that we hear about ubisoft maybe not as severe because um but still certainly uh, pretty horrific in terms of crunch. A lot of the same stories were happening and people were having these same conversations, some sort of deliberating about should we play this game or not? Um, and then that sort of got, as it, as it often does, just sort of shoved out the window and we're going to play and talk about this game like it's any other. And it's, I guess there was a period of time where it felt like games and games writing was being more responsive to kind of the the realities of of how games impact people and how they are made and sort of the the relationship between labor and and games um and there was a, there was a period where it felt like that was 
go- it was going to be like a more responsible coverage of this stuff and mm-hmm. i think as as years have gone on that that coverage has broadly continued to be like separate from what most of these sites do which is sort of review critical analysis and then alongside that you'll have the news coverage of mm-hmm. like you said they'll, they'll run the one coverage of crunch is really bad at this company and then uh, a review five months later when the game releases yeah like, yeah you should play it it's a great game everything is just in kind of a silo and i that's definitely the the model for i mean people used to call it entertainment journalism the model for it it's right there in the it's right there in the name it's journalism about entertainment but it's also a type of journalism that's purely for entertainment like the model doesn't fit having any kind of responsibility about what you're writing about or what people are going through when they make these games there's just in the current model for how these large websites write about video games there's no room for the one of these things to actually dominate i i remember this this maybe ages ago at this point i can't remember when this happened but it doesn't feel like that long ago but back when game of thrones was still running um i think this is probably near season five or so when a lot of just really terrible stuff around characters being assaulted was cropping into the show more and more um mm-hmm. the mary sue kind of put out an editorial like we're not going to cover this show anymore because w- what it is is kind of we don't we, agree with yeah we, we think for like torture porn yeah and that was like i mean at the time it was like the biggest show on tv and i mean the mary sue isn't size of, of somewhere like vice but they're not uh they're not insi- small yeah they're not an insignificant company or publication and it's it struck me as a at the time i don't think i i recognized sort of how unusual it was to me it was just like yeah I, i'm frustrated with this show it's cool that they're not covering anymore but increasingly i go back to that as like such a uncharacteristic thing for a media company to do to to look at like the biggest media property and say no we don't we don't believe in 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 what this is doing like whatever analysis we could bring to it is not going to be worth the platform that we're going to continue doing it and sort of the tacit endorsement that comes with that of this is still something to engage with i i think i think websites like kotaku and polygon and larger news websites will never do that Mm mm-hmm with what is essentially an advertising product for them, especially like when you go through Facebook comments to articles or YouTube comments, the most popular things, the most popular way to view a video game is still as a product and whether or not the player is going to enjoy it or not. So, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the most popular YouTube review channels I subscribe to just because I'm interested in kind of where people feel about these videos their mm-hmm. most popular videos are the videos where people do not talk about exploitation, do not talk about anything that happened during development that purely elevate the game as, you know, it hates to say it, but video game writing broadly as far as how people relate to it and whether or not they want to play a video game still essentially boils down to graphics, sound, gameplay, fun factor. Mm-hmm. Like we're still all just reading uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly or whatever. Yeah, which 
I don't know. It can be a, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to deny people their experience if they're just like, they're not even reading gaming yeah. stuff. They're just, they sit down and they want to play Animal Crossing and I guess good for them. But mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, I guess my frustration is primarily with critics at this point, but uh, yeah. yeah, kind of, I guess, talking in, in circles maybe at this point. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, like, I basically feel like the only way to escape the model is if, like, alternative critics, myself, websites like No Escape, uh, people like Dia and other writers Mm -hmm. do their best to, like, escape the velocity of these larger websites. Like, it's really going to come down to we have to create a larger network for ourselves. Like, we have to start trying to take a bigger and bigger slice of people's attention. Yeah, for sure. I've increasingly kind of been trying to seek those those people out because I to some degree I just find myself unable to to relate at all to to writing at these larger sites partially mm-hmm. cuz what you said they're, they're middle class people in on the east or west coast and I am a poor person in in Tennessee. It's a very different yeah. sort of relationship to to games. And- it's very interesting. I live in the Southwest. It's 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 very interesting to think about how not only is most of our pop culture made in California or on the East Coast, but most of our writing about that also is made in California or comes from the East Coast. Mm-hmm. To the extent that when something that is not made for an audience purely of people, I mean, honestly, I think the game I'm about to mention, Kentucky Route Zero, I think Kentucky Route Zero is class porn for middle-class writers in California, uh, especially critically. But when something like that comes out that is not broadly from either of those two perspectives, it is incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. I'm blanking now on, on on games I would like to shout out that sort of exist in, in between there, and, and my brain is not working. Yeah, um, but... there's really not that many. It has it has been sort of heartening to as I've like this year I think has been the year that surprisingly despite having more access than ever to to lots of just big games through flash sales and stuff like Game Pass and just lots mm-hmm. of avenues to to play pretty much whatever game I would want to this year has been the year I've I've disconnected from a lot of that and just sort of started trawling through weird stuff on steam or itch or corners of the say, is this the part where we talk about what we're playing because i can go down that route i don't have a dedicated segment but the, that segues right into it i would i would love to know what you're playing that you think maybe that you have thoughts about that are maybe concurrent to this or that i i mean i it's funny like you were saying like having more access to stuff and going down like a weirder rabbit hole mm-hmm. is I've been playing like the same three weird games in the background, and then like every once in a while, I'll give what a AAA game a shake and write about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, all, all I will say is in the future, I have a copy of Watch Dogs Legion on my PlayStation and a very filled out notebook with thoughts about it. So, mm-hmm. but as for what I'm actually playing, I mean, there's just so much good indie stuff right now. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing a game called Das Gesterchef a lot. Hmm. I don't know this it one. Is, it is on Steam. It is relatively cheap. There's also a sequel for it out now that I have not tried, but it is a first-person 
anxious dungeon crawler with a two color red and black UI. Um, all of the graphics are like old, like VGA computer wireframe where you play a person inhabiting a giant robot and you are just stalking like huge city buildings and warehouses and things. And there's just like, it's got this ominous droning synth soundtrack and it's there. It's not a monster game and it's not a horror game, but it is kind of enthralling and terrifying, even though it doesn't necessarily present itself as trying to do either of those things. Hmm. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I, I've been telling like everybody I see who's like, "Well, oh, what should I play?" I'm like, "You should play Das Geisterschiff." <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds sounds really interesting. I I don't have much experience with like first person dungeon crawling stuff. I didn't have a, a PC much growing up that could play anything, mm -hmm. um, which is broadly where that stuff existed. But uh, there's been a really interesting sort of indie resurgence of those styles of games that I'm curious to check more of them out yeah uh, i mean of course disgusting shife is a roguelike so it has a very high difficulty ceiling but mm. you should give it a, give it some love and try it out it's it will pull you in for sure um, yeah yeah i've been I've... looking for for more weird small stuff to to dig into um broadly lately that's just been whatever is put into the latest like indie apocalypse bundle mm. uh which and i just I mean, I yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in Indiepocalypse. I was gonna go down a different train of that, but I've still I've still got a couple games. I, before I before I talk about that, I've got a couple games I wanna I wanna go into. I think. Yeah, I ha I haven't I haven't uh, played any of the recent bundle, but it looks exciting. There's some really there's some really good stuff over there. Uh, he's doing he's doing a really good job with the curation going on in Indiepocalypse. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, let me let me rack my brain for a second. Uh. Another game I've been playing a lot because it's kind of very relaxing and it is not a it's not a building game. So finding a relaxing game that doesn't require me to build anything because those types of games give me anxiety. Uh, it's called Shivering Hearts. It's on itch. It is a kind of JRPG, but it's sort of like uh, the developer said the inspiration was playing a game like Planescape in a pacifist run. So it's huh. a JRPG that is about going to a small town and involving yourself in its problems. And there's something like 50 different endings and like a bunch of different outcomes for every situation. And the first time I played it, it made me tear up like a child watching anime for the first time. So that's another recommendation for me. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm looking at it now. I think I remember you. Plus, I'm... This. I'm biased towards anything that has skeleton representation. Ha! Huh, yeah, absolutely. The I, I like. I'm looking at screenshots now. I like the art style. It's like anime it's really watercolor. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's neat. I'll, I will. I will definitely have to check that out. Yeah, and then otherwise, I've spent a lot of time with both of those lately. Um, I'm actually having a really good time. Um, a couple of other critics and I have been playing Phasmophobia together. Mm -hmm. Which is that like a ghost hunting game. It's just super j it's like playing an old Gary's mod server with like a custom game type. It's just like that right level of jank and developers not quite being able to get their mechanics, like the mechanics they want, but still kind of reaching for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's Broadly, like my my favorite style of games are ones where 
the ambition is very high and the skill set is almost there but but not quite but not quite yet yeah you and then i mean just to kind of the last thing i would probably want to talk about is i've been playing a lot of tenderfoot tactics mm-hmm. um of just a lot of tactical role playing games tenderfoot tactics is great i love it it's like an indie darling but uh, my hot take is that I actually enjoy this game called Troubleshooter Abandoned Children a lot more. Hmm. And Troubleshooter is like XCOM by way of anime. So it is like, yeah, it's like one of those like urban fantasy fantasy anime, but as an XCOM game. It has the exact same cover mechanics. It's got troop recruitment things. It's it it's very good. Okay, yeah, I think I've seen a bit of this. Um, yeah, I, I think I was into it because it did just look like anime, anime XCOM, which I like XCOM all right, but the the theme never did much for me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this looks this looks very fun. I I've been meaning to check it out. Uh, and it's one of those games too where it still has that like again jank to it so there have been several runs through it where i've like completely broken mechanics and had shitloads of fun doing so Mm -hmm. yeah i don't think that's something that's appreciated enough in 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 games is just the i mean this i guess this is all just wandering around in circles around the same sort of everything Mm -hmm. needs to be expensive and and refined and yeah, I, perfect, I mean, but... I miss Jank. Like, I, I'm very, I'm excited about the Nier remake, but I'm like very apathetic towards it at all because, like, I love the original Nier for the weird janky combat and exploration mechanics. Mm. I, it's the same reason I think it's the same reason Demon Souls is my favorite Souls game. There's, like, I was describing Phasmophobia. There's a lot of things in Demon Souls that it's like the developers couldn't try it quite the skill wasn't there for quite what they wanted to do and that's some of the most compelling things about the game and seeing it then be remade as like a triple a numbers filed off fantasy game is like well this isn't exciting at all Mm -hmm. yeah i think i've i've not played demon souls or any of the souls games actually but the thing that really solidified to me the it's, it's almost a joke, but also kind of not a joke. Is someone posted a screenshot of? I guess there is a cat rain in the game or something mm-hmm. you can do with a cat. And in the in the original, it is like this silly full, almost looks like a like an FMV cat is just sitting up near your your staff like it's, bar. It's totally like a picture of one of the developers' cats. Yeah, it's just like a full ass cat. And then in the remake, it's just like a a monochrome like icon of of a cat walking. It's just it it is. I feel like that represents the sort of shift. Yeah, it's it's nowhere near as like fun. There's no like humor behind it, and it kind of sucks. Yeah, I I love the just goofy nonsense in a lot of of older games and smaller games that it's often unintentional but it becomes very charming because of how like earnest it is and i think i think that maybe is the through line is that i don't feel like many big games now have any sort of like earnest character to them they are very sort of Mm -hmm. cynically 
cynically similar and and refined yeah. in a very dull sort of way. Yeah, it's everything's the same. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. but, but that's that's uh broadly that's I guess that's like the three or four games I've been playing lately a lot. Yeah, they all they all sound very interesting, and I I definitely do want to check them out. I've been struggling a bit to engage with games at all this past couple of weeks just because of the world being very stressful but i am i'm interested in, in in diving back into some stuff and always looking for suggestions that are outside of what i would otherwise normally yeah, I, know and i just i tend to i tend to blank on like walking simulators and like games like a short hike and stuff that's like meant to make you feel something Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel something from playing a game and looking at something the developers put there. I want to feel something from playing a game and doing something in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether or not that is, you know, like S ranking a fucking juggle combo in Devil May Cry or solving an abusive relationship in Shivering Hearts. Yeah, it's a it's a more active sort of involvement, I guess. So yeah, I could probably keep going on this for a while, yeah. um, but for the sake of time, uh, we'll probably start to wrap things up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can where can people find you uh, on the internet? Where where is the best place to point people? <laughs> I keep I try to keep all of my branding the same everywhere as kind of a joke. Uh, it's very funny to me. So the website is deep hell dot com, and then I'm on Twitter. My at is deep dot com, all spelled out. Uh, those are like the two best places. Uh, I will warn everybody and say that I basically just use Twitter for talking about games I like and like harassing my friends with stupid inside jokes. Mm. Uh, I have a I have a philosophy of not giving away any writing for free. So if you want to usually hear my actual thoughts on something, you have to go to well, the website. Cool. Yeah, would would definitely point people there. Would recommend them check out your most recent article, which I'll link below since we talked a lot about it. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of interesting things up there. I uh, we didn't get to talk about it, but your piece on on Hades, I I appreciate it as maybe the only piece of of like negative critical uh, <laughs> writing I've seen about that game, but one that definitely resonated with me. I got a um, I got a I got a couple of haters for that piece actually. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that doesn't surprise me too much. That that game is kind of the the indie darling of this year. I feel maybe people are very very passionate about it. I've not really touched it, but it's been interesting to follow. And yeah, yeah would recommend I, people check out that piece as well. Yeah, that's that piece is. Uh, you can search it on the website. That piece is called "Born to Die." Uh, so closing these shows out, um, I've been sort of asking people to share something that has been either inspiring or giving them some sort of hope um try not to be perverse about it but finding something nice to point to um as everyone is sort of looking miserable yeah um i've had varying feelings about this as like a, a response but i think generally i feel like it's it's valuable to to recognize that the world is kind of terrible right now but also there are good things happening still um so this is all a preamble to say if you have something that you would like to share uh that fits into that category broadly you know gosh uh this may be slightly off brand for everything else we talked about but i'm something i've really enjoyed seeing lately is just how many new writers who are doing excellent stuff about video games i have seen pop up in the last 11 months 
Mm-hmm. Just some really amazing talent out there. New websites, people doing new stuff for Paste Magazine. Just the the sheer amount of talent I've just seen crop up from people being bored and deciding they wanted to write about this kind of stuff is just. It makes me glad that it makes me glad that there's still people out there willing to like write about this, but also do it in a way that other people haven't done before or try to. Yeah, one hundred percent. There's been tons as as much as this conversation has been kind of dire about the state of games writing there has also been a lot of really good stuff oh, yeah. uh, being written this year and yeah i might I'm, i will probably search out a few of those and, and link them in the description as well to share um since not all of them got that much attention but there's been mm-hmm. lots of really great stuff coming out and, and hopefully we'll see more of that even if it's relegated to smaller initially smaller ports of the internet mm-hmm. So yeah, thanks again so much for coming on. This has been a really Absolutely. interesting conversation. I don't have very many people to talk about games criticism as like a meta conversation, um, and it's something I think about maybe t- too much at times. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was very interesting to get some of those thoughts out and and hear what you have to say. Uh, I'll definitely keep an eye on deephell dot com. Uh, very interested what you do do next and. Yeah, it's just uh, just more articles. I've got a podcast. Uh, forgot to shout that out, but we're on anchor.fm backslash deep hell, I think. So there's a podcast too. Um, that's just stuff I'm working on. Maybe a game in there somewhere. Yeah, all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, def- I, I, I endorse pretty much all of it. I've, I've been very uh, impressed and, and it has been a fun fun thing to keep to keep on the lookout for so i hope you keep uh writing about stuff i i definitely will and i really appreciate you bringing me on the show to kind of geek out about games writing and just games i like and things for sure Alrighty. oh i will catch you around yeah um see you later yeah i never know how to end these things it's always kind Uh, of a weird awkward I, I end every video I do with Merry Christmas because it's the only thing I can usually think of. So Merry Christmas, yeah. Oh, I mean, almost that's almost true at this point. So, Merry Christmas. Critical Care is produced by me, Nate Kiernan, with music by Desired. You can find Desired on Bandcamp at desired.bandcamp.com. I'm on Twitter at Nate Kiernan, and you can keep up with everything Critical-related at critical.com. If you like the show, maybe share it with a loved one, and if you're able, consider supporting the work of my wonderful guests. Until next time, stay safe, stay home, and remember this is not game over. We're still fighting, and we're going to get through this. 